0: Hey there friends, I am Ryan Henry and welcome to 180 where we get to share absolutely amazing stories of Christian transformation from around the world. I'm talking every stage, every age, every region from a homecoming queen to a witch doctor. I mean, these stories are just so, so exciting. And you can find us at 180podcast.com. That's O-N-E 80 podcast.com. And please, would you just press that share your story button, and maybe you'll even be able to be a guest on the show.
1: But I remember, God, if you're real, show yourself to me. And you hear people say that, but I did pray that. I'm convinced God, believe me, God will answer 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 that Jesus is coming. Are you
0: ready? That's what the sign on the billboard said. Innocuous or blessed reminder, this sign is a part of Rick's story. The impetus behind him and his family leaving the Christian Science Church and running to Jesus, the ultimate healer. Hear Rick's story and his thoughts on Christian Science today on 180. 180. Thank you so much, Rick, for being on 180 today. What an amazing and interesting background you have. But before we get into it, we want to start with our trusty random question generator. So, Rick, what is the most inspiring story uh, you've read about that's not about anybody in the Bible?
1: Probably because I met him years ago, uh, Richard Wormbrand. He was a Romanian pastor back during the communist era. Wrote a book called "Tortured for Christ." Was fourteen plus years in prison and tortured in a very brutal way, and uh, all for sharing his faith and for distributing Bibles uh, in, into Russia mm-hmm. at the time. Oh wow. he was betrayed by someone, and they came and arrested him and put him in prison. I actually got to see him in Peoria, which was uh, in my home church at the time, and uh, his message that day. With his broken English, Romanian accent, uh, people would say, Richard, you survived so long in prison. How did you make it? The constant beatings and the the threat of your impending death. And he said, it wasn't the outlook, but it was the uplook, is how he would say it. He said, if I focused on the outlook of my everyday life, forget it. But yeah, it was my uplook. And that has stayed with me all these years. Wow, that's powerful to read that.
0: That sounds amazing. Well, Rick, let's get into your story because you have quite the story yourself. But before we get into the Christian science, I want to hear about your growing up. So talk to us about your family.
1: Yeah. Back in those days, I actually was in a, what we would call a, a Brady Bunch family. Now, I don't know if too many know about the Brady Bunch, you know, that was on TV, but it was a blended family. Boys from one, you know, from the husband; girls from from the wife's side of things. That's kind of my family. My mother was uh, married before, and to an individual who actually was an alcoholic and was a domestic uh, abuser. And she had four children initially in that first mm-hmm. marriage, and uh, then she met my dad, who had just returned from the Korean War. And my dad showed some interest in her, and she goes you know what, you're not going to be interested in me. And he goes, well, why not? I have four kids and I'm divorced. And he didn't believe her. And so he said, you're going to have to show me. And so they arranged a time when he went over and my mother was in public housing at the time. And there they were, these four little ones. So all under the age of seven. And so that's how they met. And then they got married about a year later. And then yeah. there were three more. I'm number six out of seven. And uh, so that's kind of how things got started. Wow. Wow. What but, a story. But during those times, I want to say, too, that having a blended family is pretty commonplace these days or more commonplace. Back then, it wasn't, and it was kind of a shameful. Thing. We had two different last names in my family, and so especially mm-hmm. at school, my classmates and teachers, what do you mean he's your brother or she's your sister? You got two different last names. You know, they just weren't getting right. that part of it. So it was always one of those things where I felt a little embarrassed about it and confused, to be sure, why my other brother and sisters would go off to see their this dad, Right. Right. I'm uh, very right. confused on mm-hmm. growing up in a home environment like that at the time. Yeah. Yeah. What was the dynamic of that? And how did everybody get along? We were in a very small home, uh, one bathroom, three bedroom house. Well, lucky that my dad was in the mattress manufacturing business because we always had beds to sleep on, but bunk right. beds and crammed into rooms and no shower, just a tub and, um, Oh, my God. But, you know, when you're growing up, you don't think about all that stuff. I think about it now. How did we survive without, you know, killing each other in in all nine people in that house? But thank goodness for the outside. My mother would kind of lock the door on us and say, don't come back till you hear the curfew siren at night. And I'm kind of teasing a little bit, but yeah, (laughs) it drove her crazy at times, which you can imagine. Mm. I do know that my uh, older sisters had a lot of conflict with my mother. And even to a point where one of the sisters ran away from home when she was 16 and she was just gone, did not hear from her for almost a year. And then on a Christmas Eve, she calls and found out she was out in California. She had been addicted to heroin. I uh, got into all kinds of a mess out there, but wanted to come home. In the meantime, wow. uh, my mother had complete. Just heartbreak and other kinds of things, so yeah, and they'd always blame my mother you know about the divorce, so I know as mm-hmm. it, looking back on it, I, I saw maybe the, the trauma and disruption, even though sure. her father was not a kind man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. So talk to me, how, how did they get in, involved with Christian
1: science? Yeah, so my my mother came from a family of 16 but not practicing Catholic, but enough to know who God is. My father and my grandparents on his side were Christian scientists. And his family, which were five kids, all grew up as Christian scientists. So he met my mother and he introduced her to Christian science.
0: Hmm. Can you explain to us what (laughs) Christian science is kind of about to our listeners?
1: Yeah. It, well, I guess I actually have brought a couple of books here. So you can see these here. So this one is The Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures by Mary Baker Eddy. This is their key text. So any time you see something like this that denies the, the deity of Jesus Christ and kind of reworks the Bible, there's always another book. There's other writings that claim to be divine, right, or inspired. Right. Right. So Mary Baker Eddy claimed had written this book uh, called Christian Science. And you can see the symbol on the front. As a little kid, I would say this, it's a cross and crown with a circle all around. That's how we would kind of chant this out a little bit. And the, in, within the circle, it says, raise the dead, cast out demons, cleanse the lepers, and heal the sick. You know, all from mm-hmm. biblical concept. But... When you read through the science and health, and we did have a Bible. So this is the the companion Bible with this set, and it's the King James Version. So we had an accurate, you know, version of, of the scriptures. The problem was, right. is that this book, The Science and Health, uh, was key to the scriptures by Mary Baker Eddy. And you'd always have to say that whole line uh, whenever you yeah. mention the book, you know, would distort what the Bible was saying. Mm-hmm. So when you look, there's a section uh, the glossary, and this will give you some sense. If uh, let me just read a couple of these definitions. Of, yeah, uh, sure. Of how they look at it. So, so for instance, let me just pick out a few random ones here. So Christ, all right. So we know who Christ is, right? But according to this definition, Christ is the divine manifestation of God, which comes to the flesh to destroy incarnate error. Interesting. Death, and illusion the lie of life and matter, the unreal and untrue, the opposite of life. Some other definitions. Let me pick out a couple I think there would be. So Jesus, right? The highest human corporeal concept of the divine idea, rebuking and destroying error and bringing to light man's immortality. Did you get all that? Right, uh, the, right. The Holy Ghost, divine science. So they actually look at this. Particular writing, this book as the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. So there's no triunity with God. Wow. Uh, there's one God, but but Jesus is not God, and the Holy Spirit is not God. So salvation, life, truth, and love understood and demonstrated as supreme over all sin, sickness, and death destroyed. So everything that's that's written mm. in here, so it just continues on, but it but it basically allegorizes the Bible spiritualizes yeah. it okay. so what we think yeah. would be historical narrative basically not you know so adam and eve were not you know really real individuals so even a definition of, of adam in here which i didn't read mm-hmm. let me get that adam error a falsity the belief in original sin sickness and death evil the opposite of good of god and his creation so you're not thinking about a real person you think mm-hmm. about these spiritual concepts so you can see how confusing this comes when you start looking at the bible so i never right. read the bible myself but when you would read it you'd always you couldn't read the bible without reading this first and and mm-hmm. learning what divine science has to say about the bible and of course it distorts the literal historical grammatical meaning in in the way the bible is written mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so basically wow. science and health there's a a statement called the scientific statement of being, which is kind of their the essence of, of what they would hold to, but it it goes something like this, and I won't quote the whole thing, but it says there is no life, truth, intelligence, nor substance in matter, all its infinite mind and its infinite infinite manifestation. So the essence of it is, is that spirit is the real and eternal; matter is the unreal and temporal. Spirit is God, mm. and man is in his, in his image and likeness. Therefore, man is not material; he's spiritual. So mm. all that says this: if we are made in the image of God and if God is spirit, then our essence is spiritual. It's not. It's not material. So sin, sickness, mm. disease, death is not real. Hmm. Hmm. Very
0: interesting.
1: Yeah. So, uh, why would you say that this is controversial? Well, from perspective as a follower of Jesus Christ, it's extremely controversial uh, yeah. because there's a complete denial that Jesus is God, <laughs> a complete <laughs> denial that there's a, a, a Trinity, you know, that God the Father, yeah. Jesus the Son, Holy Spirit, and the way that the Bible is interpreted. And, and spiritualized, allegorized. So you never really get a, a pure look at what we would now, what I would now say is, is the truth yeah. of who Jesus is and why he came to die on the cross. Yeah, yeah. So how do the family feel about Christian science? Yeah, when you are brought up in something, you don't question it. There's, there's exactly. no reason yes. You're brought up in it. Right. Well, it doesn't matter what what you believe. You just kind mm-hmm. of just go along with life, Right. Christian scientists are are wonderful people. They're very loving people. You know, they also kind of look at the character of God, and because they don't believe in sin, sickness, disease, or death, they have to rework him a little bit too. So you would not think of God being a a God who brings judgment upon those who have sinned, because there is no sin. Uh, God is love. and, And I think the biggest Focus of Christian science is love. And so you find that they're very loving people, uh, very moral people. And so we grew up in that. And so there was no reason to question it. And, you know, some of the issues became because we would deny medical help. And not that Christian science believes that you you don't go to doctors, uh, but they would say, we have a better way. There's no reason. And we would be very cautious about telling anybody, hey, we went to a doctor, for instance, or, Mm. you know, whatever. So if you're healthy, you can be a fantastic Christian scientist. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, I had all the diseases growing up, right? So mumps, measles, chicken pox, I had all that stuff. But you got over it. And so we'd be claiming the truth of Christian science and say, oh, yeah, well, in two weeks it went away, you know, so that was kind of our understanding.
2: Thanks for tuning in to 180, brought to you by One Way. Make sure to follow, like, and share our show with your people. Now, back to the show.
0: So
1: you said that these people were very, very loving. I mean, what else was it like being in the church? So the church itself, I mean, so they don't have pastors. They would have readers so and lecturers. And so we had Sunday school class. So I remember my Sunday school teacher would be sitting at these big round tables and, and they would teach you a lesson about Christian science. And I remember enjoying going and and, and being there, but it was very formal. Uh, you dressed up always uh, when you went to church in the adult section. So we were in the basement of in the adult area. They would have a, a lecture or a reading from the Bible, but a counterpart reading from the science and health with the scriptures by Mary Baker Eddy. Uh, then they would have a lecturer that would talk on divine science, about love, about whatever. And Christian science also, they have what they call practitioners. So practitioners are individuals that uh, come and pray for you. And, you know, to help you overcome whatever issues going on in your body or, or whatever it might be. And so my father actually wanted to be a practitioner at one point and never pursued that. One of my aunts was a reader in the church, so in fact, she's still alive, and, and yeah, so very much immersed into all of that, but it was one of those things where we had to be really careful around my grandparents, just because actually we worked in a family business together, and so we were around them right. a lot, and I'm sure yeah. my dad was scared to death that the kids would, would say something, you know, but we never, yeah. we never did. I think we got away with some of that, so...
0: Yeah. What, what, what was your personal faith journey at, at this point in your life?
1: Yeah. And so actually uh, it begins with my parents uh, before me. So, you know, at, at, at a certain point, I was definitely in high school, early, earlier years, but yeah, you know, my, my mother just got to the point, I think because of her Roman Catholic background, maybe she, you know, she was always hesitant about Christian science and never really immersed in it like my dad. And, Inside the family were. And she, at one point, I remember her saying, you're not taking those kids back to the Christian Science Church. I mean, she just, mm. she said, if you knew my mother, I mean, she put her foot down it was down. And uh, so Lyle <laughs> like, lifting it up. Okay. Yeah, this put my dad in, which, which you can imagine an extremely awkward position. Again, just from the dynamics I just explained. And he goes, okay, uh, where are we going to go? I should back up, though, and say this. Before that happened, a couple of things were going, uh, were, were taking place. One is the billboard advertising sign along the highway. Christ is coming. Are mm-hmm. you ready? That was positioned along this hill that went up to our house. We, we went by that sign multiple times every day. And I remember being with my dad and, and all it had, and that's all it had on it, no church name, nothing. It had these ominous clouds behind it. So it was kind of scary looking. Um, And I'd ask my dad, like, what does this mean? And he goes, I don't know. And in the Christ is coming part, we thought, okay, we're okay with that. But are you ready part is what threw us off. Um, Ready for what? What do we have to be ready for? And what is this about him coming back? What's he going to do? You know, type of thing. Even though we did not believe he was God, it still kind of scared us a little bit. and made us question you know, like, hey, are we believing the truth? The second thing that happened, my mother would go down to the Peoria Public Library, and we actually lived just outside of the city limits, and so we could not get a library card. And so she would pretty regularly go to the Peoria Library, and, you know, it's it's beyond, um, you know, she's long gone now and, and things, so we, we can't get in trouble for this. but. She would borrow books out of the library without a card. You know, back in those days, they didn't have security mm. systems, so right. she would borrow them. Always bring them back, though. Yeah, and for whatever reason, she found a book on Christian Science by Mark Twain, Samuel Clemens, and this is what uh, this is the copy I had to get this just to have it. Yeah. So Mark Twain, obviously Huckleberry Finn and all that kind of stuff. She just assumed this was was going to be a, a, a cool book on Christian Science and. She opened it up, and I remember the beginning story, and I won't have time to go into the first story, but it's hilarious about the situation in Vienna, Austria, and this guy falls over a cliff and breaks all his bones and all this stuff. And Oh, my gosh. Calls on uh, Mary Baker Eddy, happened to be... In Vienna at the time, and they someone knew about her and said, "Hey, we're going to get her to come and pray for you and deny that that is in existence." And Twain, he was an agnostic at best, but he writes in a very comical style, and this this beginning story is is really funny, not to a Christian Scientist, but to the fact of, you know, her telling this man who had bones sticking out of him and everything else that this isn't real, that it's an illusion right? And all those kinds of faith. And so anyway, it goes on and on. But this book actually by Mark Twain, you think of the billboard sign in this book, two uh, inanimate objects, right? Started to get us to question, are we following the truth? Is there something wow. else? And we didn't know if there was anything else at the time. But I mean, who would use a billboard in Mark Twain? God does, right? Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, anyway, Twain gets a bill for for the services, the, her services to come and to help this uh, individual out, and because he wasn't healed, he said, well, I just sent her back an imaginary check, you know, since it was an imaginary illness. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so my mom's reading this to my dad, and, you know, I can, I'm i hearing, that I'm thinking, okay, here's divorce number two coming. I mean, they were arguing, uh, and my dad right. was going through the process. And right. finally... That's when she put her foot down and said, we're not going back to that church. And so I remember mm-hmm. my dad saying, oh, where are we going to go? We knew of other churches. I was always proud of being a Christian scientist. You know, in school back in those days, they would, the teachers would ask you, well, what religion are you? You know, and it'd be Presbyterians and Baptists and Catholics and, you know, the whole thing. And I would say, yeah. I'm a Christian scientist. I thought it was really cool, because I was the only one. Yeah, yeah right. My friends would say, Wow. You know, that is so (laughs) cool, right? (laughs) What is that? Yeah, it just sounds cool, right? Um, Yeah. And uh, so he had that stuff going. but So we knew about other churches, other religions, but just figured, what, they got their thing going. We're doing our thing. What difference does it make? That's kind of how I looked at it. So my dad said, well, where are we going to go? Just so happened that maybe a week before that happened, my mother receives this kind of mailer from a church up the street. It was a free Methodist church. We did go back and ask the pastor later, I, how did we get on your mailing list? He goes, there's no way that you could have. He said, we do not canvas neighborhoods, only goes to the people that have attended. There was no way for for that church, it was a small church, a hundred people or so, would even do something like that. So here comes this flyer in the mail, and my mother So, hey, got this flyer from this church up the street about a mile from our house, let's go there. So here we go, whole family going into this church. We probably were the first visitors in a long time there coming in, and and it was strange, to say the least. Singing, we we sang in the Christian Science Church, but not like this. You know, very traditional, you know, Free Methodists are very traditional background and stuff. Pastor preaching, first time I had heard someone preached like that from the Bible. People would stand up, they had testimony time. You know, what in the world is this? You would not do that in a Christian church. <laughs> <laughs> but I also remember seeing the communion table at the front. I didn't know what, what it was. I mean, I do now, but at the time I'd had no idea. And it had a inscription in the front of it, this do in remembrance of me. I remember asking my dad, Dad, uh, who died and left that table to the church? I thought it was some widow who had left a a memorial to her husband. (laughs) I had no idea it was referring to Jesus. That's where we were, totally ignorant, had no knowledge. I had never read the Bible. All I knew was I knew the Lord's Prayer, and that was Mm -hmm. about it, but had never read the Bible up to that point. So all of a sudden, we're getting Bible teaching. Right, Um, right. And about a year later, on Easter Sunday the pastor gave an invitation. We're all sitting in the pew together. My mom and dad get up out of the pew and go forward. Where are they going? And uh, I saw them kneel down along the steps of, of the front and receive Christ as their Savior. And it was an immediate transformation. And not that they were bad people doing bad things, but they were sinners in need of a Savior and God had just gotten a hold of their life, and they, they just devoured the Bible every day since then. Wow. Every night at the kitchen table, reading, studying, buying Christian books. So I'm looking at all this and thinking, wow, what's going on there? And um, still not really interested in reading the Bible, but uh, some friends from that church had invited me to go up to Chicago to a Billy Graham crusade. This was in 1972 at McCormick Place. At the time, McCormick okay. Place was the largest indoor arena in, in the U.S., or maybe the world at that time. So anytime a Peorian gets a chance to go to Chicago, you jump at it. And I, I, <laughs> I'd thought I never heard of Billy Graham. I'd never heard, you know, wow. anything like this. And I thought, okay, I'll go to Chicago. Sure, yeah. yeah. And I remember being at that crusade, and Billy Graham's message was, who is Jesus? And that's what I was struggling with because of my mm. Christian science background. As I read to you earlier, you know, read from the definitions of Christ and Jesus, you can see why I'd be confused, right? Like, is he a man? Is he what? You know, why did he die on the cross? I had no clue. It was confusing to me why that would even have to happen. Why? Because I didn't believe in sin. Why, why would sure. he die as a sacrifice for that? So... Yeah, so listening to Billy Graham, who is Jesus, but Billy Graham, of course, had his invitation at the end, and just as I am, comes on with George Beverly Shea and, and whatever, I didn't go forward. And mm. I know that was a long bus ride back home. My friend's wondering, how come How come you didn't go forward? I didn't want to. Yeah. I was still confused. I was still processing. Who is this? Hmm. Who is this person? And why do I need to respond like this? Then I uh, was at some other youth event that the church was having, and again, they shared a gospel message This hmm. is right in this is now my senior year in high school, and an individual came over he had the four spiritual laws, you know a campus crusade or a crew booklet and so he he sits down and goes, "Can I share this book with you uh, okay, yeah, you can do that you know law one, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. It just goes through those four laws. And, you know, at the end, it was this prayer to receive Christ. And he goes, would you like to pray this prayer with me? I go, okay. Mm. And so I prayed the prayer. And then he, he asked me after I prayed that prayer, did you believe it? And I said, no. <laughs> and he, wow, I, I could see the look on his face. <laughs> his his countenance is dropped because he think, I, yeah, I think he thought I was going to re- yeah, I really received Christ. But I didn't. I didn't. I was not ready. And so there was a week in my senior year in high school, I got really sick. I was out of school for a whole week. Hmm. And I remember just still struggling with the billboard, Mark Twain, Billy Graham, Four spiritual Laws, you know, all these different kinds of things. My mom and dad going up front, just wondering what all this stuff was, um, and I remember we had this family Bible sitting on the table uh, and I'm laying on the couch, you know, in our living room. And I I picked that Bible up, did not know how to navigate myself around the Bible, didn't know the difference between Old and New sure. Testament, all that stuff. But I remember praying, sure. God, if you're real, show yourself to me. You're going to. Wow. And you hear people say that, but I did pray that. I'm yeah. convinced God, believe me, God will answer that one. Yes, you will. Uh, That's amazing. Yeah. And I happened to open it up and it turned it was right Matthew chapter one. So in that week, being home from school, I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John with that prayer in mind. And every page, every gospel got into Mark, then to Luke, and then to John, and it was like lights were started turning on. And I finally realized That's why Jesus died on the cross for me. That's why. Wow. That's who he is. Wow. And I thought, I mean, I was the only one who discovered that truth. You know, It's like, hey, I just found an amazing truth. And also, do you realize these four books are kind of the same accounts of the life of Jesus? I didn't know that before. I remember telling my my mom about that. And again, thought that was the first discovery by anyone in the history of the world. But it kind of showed you where I was coming from. (laughs) Right. So, yeah, that's kind of, and so what happened was after I did that, the, the guy that had shared the four laws with me left it with me. And it was in my room. So I went into my bedroom, laid on my bed, and I read through the four laws again, prayed that prayer. And I know distinctly that's when Christ came into my life. Wow, that's, that's amazing. A, it was a process for, for sure.
0: Yes, but you got there. And I love yeah. that you said that, Man, if you ask God to show Himself to you, that He will do it. That's so powerful, and 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 that's such an honest prayer too. When we come and say, you know, I don't, I don't know, or I'm confused, or would you just do it? What happened next? So you're you're going through the Bible. I mean, how how did you grow in your faith? Like, what were the steps after that?
1: Yeah, well, like my mom and dad, I became a voracious Bible reader. <laughs> I did wow. Well, Started getting into the Bible and really had very little direction. I don't think the church knew what to do with us. I mean, we were we were like these new converts and maybe had been the first converts at, at that church for a while. But you know, yeah. you know, there was no discipling. There was no whatever. Um, and I think soon after I became a Christian, because we were so excited about our faith, we started serving in the church. Yeah, you know, my mom and dad were doing different things, and so the pastor asked me if I would be willing to teach an adult Sunday school class. Wow! So I go, okay. I would never taught a class before; didn't know what I was doing. And the 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 book that they wanted me to teach was First John, which <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, First John's not an easy book to navigate through. And, and I remember I was so excited about it. I think just my excitement probably kept people you know awake during the class. I had no idea even what I taught. It was dangerous, really, at the time, because I still was hanging on to Christian science stuff. You know, there was still yeah. stuff in me, confusion yeah. in me. But I was learning the Bible. I was learning about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and a personal relationship with Him. But once I got into college, I had a, a professor, a math professor, who was a believer, who actually was one of the elders of the church that we started attending. But yeah. I'd stopped by his office and I should have been asking him math questions because I wasn't really good at math, but I kept asking him Bible questions. <laughs> and so he made himself available and he had a Bible study with other college students over at his home. Cool. And, uh, so we went over there. I remember going through the book of Romans with him and with that group. And we were all stuffed into his living room. There had to be 30 of us in there, just excited. I started getting involved with this, a crew Campus Crusade on the Bradley University campus. Got, I was leading an action group. I just started growing leaps and bounds in my faith. Had a couple of classes at Bradley that a couple of my professors were, let's say, not exactly of the Christian faith. I would speak up for my faith in, in class. I remember I had a professor with the an ancient and medieval philosophy course, and he would just wreak me over the coals and I didn't know how to defend myself. I had a Russian history prof and he'd say, yeah, stuff oh gosh. Like, he'd say stuff like, yeah, I bet Pearson thinks this, thinking <laughs> down on my chair and just wanting to get out of there. But it caused me to go after more, you know, like apologetics. How can I defend myself? I, I, I felt, is Christianity intellectual? Is it, is it, is it just this? emotional thing, you know, that some people claim, or is there some intellectual historical basis to it? And my math professor introduced me to some of the writings of uh, Francis Schaeffer, which basically his books at the time just helped ground me in the reality that there is a God who is there and he has spoken. And there's mm. verifiable truth based in historical fact and, and those kinds of things. The other huge thing that took place is I went Mm -hmm. down to the University of Illinois, and this was through Campus Crusade, an individual by the name of Josh McDowell. I didn't know Mm -hmm. Josh at the time, but Josh McDowell was teaching on the Book of Romans. His title was The Revolutionary Revelation, and he taught through Romans 1 through 8. (laughs) And I was struggling when I went down there, again, just wondering if this stuff was true. Was it right? I didn't have assurance of my salvation and I was scared to be honest with you. And so I go down there and I'm in this big room and Josh is up there teaching. And I remember him making some distinct statements about faith for one thing. You know, he said, it's not, it's not how much faith you have, it's who you have it in that makes all the difference. And and that's something, because I thought I had to generate something. I thought I had to, you know, like create this on my own without realizing we have this amazing God. And and my faith is as strong as the object I place it in. And in this case, if it's a God who created the universe, I just had a spoken word, that's quite an object. And so I I realized that. And then the other thing he said, too, that I really needed to hear at at that conference was, you know what? God is never mad at you. He was talking about your position in Christ and that Jesus Christ died for all of your sin. Now, you know, as Romans 8, 1 says, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? I was always yeah. scared of God. I thought he was wow. a policeman, you know, not in, in a sense that I'm going to get punished or a judge sure. you throws you into prison or whatever. I was just afraid of, of that and, and thinking I was going to be cast away. And so, yeah. So having Josh McDowell, so Josh was at our church. I don't know, maybe ten years ago or so. And I got to drive him around, and I told him that story. Uh, and it was just so neat to bring, you know, kind of come back around and be able to share that with him. Here I was, this college student sitting in that group, and but it was that, along with a number number of other things, but certainly that conference that changed my trajectory around in terms of where I was going to be heading next. Wow. Wow. And where did you head next? Yeah. So I graduated from Bradley and at the time in Peoria, my wife and I got married and she worked for Caterpillar and in Peoria, everybody worked for Cat. And so I thought, I'm just going to work for Caterpillar. I don't know what to do, but I was so hungry for the scriptures. So my dad and I, We'd go out on mattress deliveries, and so while we were out, we'd stop by this Berean bookstore, and that we'd go in there, it was a Christian bookstore, and start just buying books. And lo and behold, most of them that we bought, we'd look on the back of who the writer was, the author, and it was Dallas Theological Seminary. Had no idea what a seminary was, I thought it was just for priests that kind of thing. But one of the pastors at at the church we were attending was a graduate from there. And I was talking to him one day, and he said, Rick, I really think you need to consider going to seminary. I said, yeah, but I don't want to be a pastor. So ministry in that way was the last thing I had in mind. I thought, I'll never get Hmm. in. I remember filling out the applications, and that was the only place I applied to. I thought, you know what? If I don't get into here, I'm not going. I'll just work for Cat. That was my thought. And uh, I ended up getting accepted at Dallas, and we moved down uh, four years, and it was like a worship experience for me. of Seeing the scriptures in a way I'd never seen before. At Dallas, because it's a four year program, you study every book of the Bible, whether it's in the English text or Greek or Hebrew, before you get out of there. <laughs> so, mm. I'm reading Genesis to Revelation and many of them in depth wow. in original language. And it was just, I was just blown away at the mm-hmm. wondrous nature of the word of God and the power of it. And certainly gives you a high, lifted up view of who our God is. Yeah. Our placement director at the time, he was a retired pastor from the Evangelical Free Church of America. I'd never heard of the Free Church before. And he goes, You know what? I got this place up in Naperville, which I'd never heard of before, uh, that's looking for a youth pastor. And I, okay he goes, I want you to apply to it. And yeah, we got interviewed. They liked me. I liked them and church of about, I don't know, less than a couple hundred people at the time. And yeah, I was brought on staff in uh, September of 1983 and have been on staff ever since for 37 years. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Just like that. (laughs) Who Who would have thought an Old Testament major could, you know, and I wasn't this stereotypical youth pastoring. The cool youth pastors had long hair, sideburns with a guitar strap to their back. And I had Yes. Musical ability. I did have longer hair at the time. Yeah. But I didn't think I was one of those cool guys. But I realized that it wasn't necessarily being a cool guy, it was being a, a real guy, an authentic That's guy. That's exactly right. And sharing and, and just immersing myself in, in interest into their lives. And... Yeah, God did a work in me and hopefully in them. And it was it as youth pastor for the first eight years that was at the Compass Church. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing.
0: I would love to, so it just fascinates me your whole turnaround and coming out of Christian science and having your mind corrected or renewed from the things that you learn. I mean, how, how can listeners how can we be aware of, of a cult? You know, how, what is the, the theology of a cult?
1: Well, I mean, they're all different, of course. They all have their own little quirks to them or, or teachings. I think the main thing that I would suggest is you've got to know the Word of God. You know, how right. are we going to know truth from error, right? And a cult will always distort the truth of what we know is true of the Bible, and so mm-hmm. whenever, whenever you take the Bible and you start cutting it up, I remember talking to my, one of my aunts one time and sharing my faith with her and I was trying to get her to understand uh, that there's going to be uh, judgment for her sin one day. And that's not how I said it, but uh, she said, I said, what do you do with all these passages in, you know, in the Bible that says this, 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 and this? She goes, well, we don't really pay attention to that. I said, oh, so we should just take some scissors and cut that out. Oh, you know, yeah. You right. Up with a Bible, maybe a page and a half long, the stuff that you like. Yeah. And that's not it, how the Bible yeah. is written. We don't take what we like from a yeah. human standpoint. We take as God has revealed it. So the more you know the Word of God, the more you're going to be aware of what false things, and that's just cults, but I mean you look at our society today and it's just half-truths and non-truths and all these other things. Can you stand up and do you have a way to communicate truth to people and understand who mm-hmm. our God is and what he has said and, and why Jesus right? came and died on the cross. So that's mm-hmm. the first thing I think people need to know. I, I remember talking to one of our, our mission partners one time, and, and this is, is an individual at Cambridge University, by the way. And I said, what do you believe is the biggest issue among Christians today? And he goes, "I mean, immediately said, biblical illiteracy. And I had to think about mm, right. that. Biblical illiteracy. You know, we're we're educated. We read. We got tons of Bibles, but we don't know the Bible. Um, um, and so I think immersing yourself, in the, and that was my issue. You know, the cult. Yeah, science and health key Heal the scriptures by Mary Baker. It kept me away from the Bible. What you have to right. do is keep the people away from the Bible. The Holy Spirit, you know, can use the words of Scripture to quicken us, to make us more aware. In my case, God used Mark Twain, used a billboard, used some other things but to get me to that point. But I believe that God's pursuing after us. And so, yeah, you can study, you should, like Mormonism or Christian science or Jehovah's Witness, those things. We need to be aware. And, and the sad truth is that those individuals are far more articulate and knowledgeable about what they believe than what we are have to time which I think kind of shames us somewhat. Yeah, right, right. But how many of us really actually read the Bible, not just in a devotional way, but in just going after it? You know, my mother, she was a voracious Bible reader. You have right. To, you have to read it with reckless abandonment, that's the way I would put it. And you know the scriptures, you're not going to waver. Jesus during his temptation, <clears> right? Always quoting scripture this right out. This is what God says. Yeah. We can't do that. When we hear false. That's so good. Or we hear someone speaking at us, whether it's media or whatever it is, can we immediately pick up on? Yeah. Yeah. And that's so important because in, in
0: today's world, we find ourselves aimlessly kind of scrolling through things, whether it be on TikTok or whether it be YouTube and just watching stuff. And as things come up, Everyone's got an opinion about something sure. yep. and it might be related, and we could be searching something about God. But let me find a good message or encouragement, and you just you wander into all types of things, and so knowing the word of god is is the best way to make sure that you're grounded and to to learn about God. If you had to kind of hone in on your favorite thing about jesus hmm. what would it what would you say? What's your favorite thing?
1: Wow well, so yeah, I know what I, I would say. So, I heard someone say this a long time ago, and it's always stayed with me and it was this that when you die and go to heaven and you see Jesus for the first time, it'll take a million years to get over it. That's my wow <laughs> wow we we get into we get into all these uh things about oh, what's heaven going to be like and I remember talking when I was a, a youth pastor, you know kids like i uh, you know heaven's gonna be boring you know I thought, well. It all depends on your view of God. If you think God is boring, you you know, have at it. But right. uh, don't you realize who our God is? And when you see right. Jesus for the first time, I mean, why would you want to even pay attention to anything else? I don't. I mean, if he's <laughs> that magnificent, if he's that wondrous, if he's that glorious. And wow. I'm not going to look at anything else for a long time. I don't want to focus on things of the earth that we think are going to satisfy us. Jesus Christ, is all the satisfaction we're going to need for for eternity. And here's the other thing about Him and about who our God is: is that you know God is inexhaustible, and so you're never going to run out of seeing new and new things about Him. You know, there's going to be Mm -hmm. be in heaven for let's say a, a billion years. And let's say yeah, I'm just using this illustration, but you walk by and you see God and you think, man, I didn't see that before. That's wondrous. That's, that's amazing. I didn't see that in Him before. And that's what, that to me is an amazing truth about who God is. Yeah. Yes. That's so good. That's so good.
0: So I, I've got one last question for you, Rick. I so appreciate your time and just sharing everything you've gone through. And this has been so good. So say you're the adult that you are now, and you see you as a kid enamored by that billboard. And so what would you tell your younger self, knowing what you know
1: now? Maybe maybe it'd be this, you know, that you always need to think about what you believe. And where is your belief grounded in? Uh, Yeah. and, And is it grounded in the right things? And how would you determine that? And so for me, I didn't know that I... right. Was not grounded in the right how, how could I have that billboard prompted me to question it. I don't think it's necessarily wrong to question or to doubt you know you, you think about how the scriptures are written, and there's a lot of people in the Bible that that doubted mm. questioning, you know, even as I came to Christ, I still questioned and wondered and, and whatever. i had this keep coming back uh, to again, the, is God does God exist? Is he there? And as he spoken, and is it grounded in historical truth? And so you keep coming back to some of those kinds of things, and you think, okay, if those things are true, the Bible is true. But I think if you're authentic and, and you look at it objectively, you come to the conclusion that Jesus Christ um, is God and that he yeah. is, is, is spoken to us and he has revealed himself to us and wants to have a relationship with us. Uh, wow. Wow. That's great. That's so good, Rick. I,
0: I just so appreciate you again for for coming and being on the show. And uh, I just feel so encouraged. And you know, I hope our listeners too also just feel that encouragement to you know, challenge, like even things that we've been brought up with and really think and, and seek it out in the word and uh, to know who the Lord is. Seek it out for yourself and ask him the hard question, which is, yeah. God, I just want to know who you are. Can you show me? Will you show me? So thanks so much, Rick, for being on the show. Yeah, you're welcome.
1: Pleasure.
2: Thanks, Ryan. How about your story? God wrote it, so it's already awesome. Why not share it? We want to hear your 180 testimony. Check out our website to see how at 180podcast.com. That's O-N-E 80 podcast.com. We'll help you put your story together so you can share it. We've got thought-provoking writing prompts that will get you started. And of course, we'd love your follow, review, and share of our show. This is Kate with The Send Off. Today, we're featuring our 180 poet, Blind Tony. Thanks for sharing, Blind Tony.
3: Rick Pearson is a dedicated missionary pastor today, faithfully serving God in a wonderful way. But Rick grew up the same way we all do, believing what his parents told him to be true. And his parents were Christian scientists trying hard to live right. But eventually they came to see that their religion offered them no real insight. And then they discovered Jesus and found the power containing God's word. Then they surrendered all and devoured everything they heard. But their conversion didn't make Rick believe. He still had questions, fears, anxieties, and doubts that their conversion couldn't relieve. Still, God has a way of working things out. And God's way not only answered all Rick's questions, but it eliminated the fears, anxiety, and doubt. Rick's conversion actually began when his family received an unsolicited flyer in the mail. At the same time, their faith as Christian scientists was about to fail. And they lived near a billboard that read, Jesus is coming, are you ready? that made Rick constantly ask himself whether he was standing on ground that was rock solid and steady. Later, he attended an evangelistic series given by the late, great Billy Graham, but he chose to remain seated during the altar call while the choir sang, Just As I Am. Rick still wasn't convinced and he wasn't ready to believe and God was still preparing his heart to receive. It wasn't until later when Rick got real sick with tonsillitis and had to stay out of school for an entire week. That was when he began to peek slash seek into the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And that was also the beginning of an incredible, unbreakable bond. A vibrant, powerful bond that is still active today. A bond that seems destined forever to stay. And that is a bond between Rick's heart and God's Holy Spirit that not only allowed Rick to feel it, but to hear it, fear it, and draw near it. Rick's story is a powerful 180 story of God's ability to open seemingly closed and locked doors. But it is totally Rick Pearson's story, and I'm wondering what's yours. Feel free to contact us at 180 and tell us your story. And for more of my poetry, please check out Anthony Horton's Poems channel on YouTube. Until next time, God's blessings be upon you.
2: 180 is a production of One Way Ministries.